So I always encourage practitioners, and many have heard me say this over and over again, that keeping them on high-dose detox uh, of the sort to address estrogen clearance and clear those metabolites is great if you do it short-term and then come off the dose and then retest. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. Today, we are going to continue our series on bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. And this will be part three. And we are going to let the men talk. And we are going to cover some interesting things along with some listener questions for today's episode. First off, Tony, welcome back, my friend. How are you? Great to be here, Tom. Thanks. Doing well. You and I have discussed testosterone in episode 27, Why Is Your Manhood Slowly Seeping Away? And then that will be in the show notes of this episode. So I didn't really want to dive too deep into testosterone, but since we are going to cover men, and that is important for us, we're going to hit on the bioidentical hormone replacement therapy side of that. But first, I want to touch base on andropause or menopause. and talk about that. And we're going to have some tips and tricks and some other questions, other things in the episode regarding blood markers and stuff. So stay tuned. Let's hit andropause or menopause real quick, Tony. Yeah, for sure. As we start the aging process and we're looking into the 20s and and beyond, you're going to notice that based on your lifestyle, the impact of the environment, things we're ingesting, things we're smoking, things we're drinking, things we're eating can affect the human biology in ways that are profoundly positive or profoundly negative. And the more that we put negative attributes that are found from the environment and the food and the drink and and all the lifestyle things into our body, the more negative results you're going to get on the hormone axis. You're going to have a negative response to the GI system. You're going to have a negative response to the microbiome and in the GI, the small intestine especially you're going to have a dysregulation of hormones, the hormonal axis from the brain to the testes in men and and the brain and the ovaries to women. So all of that is a player. When men start to finally realize that something's wrong, it's been probably going on for several years. So we see insulin dysregulation, blood glucose starts to rise. We see the classic man bod start to develop. Um, looser at the love handles, looser in the breast tissue, the stress levels, internal and external stressors start to rise. And then we see dysregulation along that route with cortisol in the adrenal glands, DHEA dysregulation. So we see this dysregulation among the entire axis. And if somebody's monitoring these things, that's why I always tell clients and friends and family that we like to get blood labs and get baseline labs as young as possible because we like to see these trends over time. It's not necessarily that we want to chase one or one or two markers or chase a number. We want to look at the trends and see where the body's going over time. So then if we start to see that the dysregulation happening in, 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 a, in a part of this axis, then we can address that with lifestyle, diet, exercise, whatever's needed to address that and, uh, and correct that dysfunction. So the earlier we get it, the better. 
the the less outside influence of negative stressors on the body, the better. Clients that we diagnose early enough with some type of dysfunction, we can correct faster, better, and more effectively. People that wait until they're in their 40s, 50s, 60s, the road's a little bit longer for those folks. And we have to take more stern, drastic measures to actually correct the dysfunction. But by that time, those folks have been feeling so bad for so long, even slight improvements actually make them feel tremendously better because they've they've been used to living in in the doldrums. And that becomes part of their daily, that they accept that as this is my daily life. And when you just give them a little bit of an improvement in that axis, they feel so much better. But are they optimized? By no means. Is it possible to be optimized at my age? This is this speaks volumes to me because that's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, I believe uh, optimization is is which what you tell when you tell me that you feel great, and you now is everything in your world perfect? No. But when you say you don't have body aches, you don't feel anxiety, you feel stable with stress, you feel healthful and youthful. All these things come together. Like I had one of my clients, he's just finishing up his year program. And I asked him, I said, so, so tell me how you feel. Tell me exactly in your words, how life is for you now, based on where we were when you started. He said, I feel great. He said, I really have nothing to complain about. There's no, I, I, I can't pick any area of my life right now where, where I would have any complaints whatsoever. And that's kind of the that's where, like me personally, I, I'm always chasing optimization, right? Because I'm always nitpicking the micro, the smallest little things that I think might give me an edge. Mm-hmm. Because I still play ice hockey with kids half my age. I'm 54. I play hockey with uh, young men in their low 20s, you know, coming, still in college. Right. So it's really, um, it's really important for me to be able to keep up and play and keep my mental state um, sharp, keep my gut microbiome optimized as best as I can, as best as I know how. And then where I'm deficient in my skill sets, then I seek training from the best. So I find a practitioner that is at the very top of their game, whether they be a physician, a pharmacist, a coach, and I join them in training. Because I want want my skill sets to be just as sharp. You know, metal metal sharpens metal. Right, exactly. That's a a very good point. And I think, you know, with you and your hockey, I do training a lot with the younger group of guys that are, you know, in their mid-30s, and they provide me some very good competition, and that helps me, but I still get, you know, fatigued, I get depressed, you know, I get a little, I don't get much weight gain because I keep, you know, I work out a lot. Right. I I have foggy thinking or something that's been on my my mind. Sure. And you and I have discussed that. you know, and uh, difficulty concentrating and, you know, irritability, yeah. anxiety, you know, all the symptoms of andropause. And I actually signed up this, well, you turned me on to the company, but I actually signed up to get help because I, I need to get rid of this stuff. It's not, about be, having, it's not about having an erection. I mean, that's a good thing to have at this age, but it's not just about that. It's about your mind and the way you feel. You know, and men need to have this dialogue. You know, I mean, it's not, it's no longer is it taboo to bring these topics up, to have these discussions. We need to talk about erections. We need to talk about quality of erections. We need to talk about men that able and able to attain an erection, but then can't maintain the erection. We need to talk about uh, strategies. We need to talk about possible causes. And we need to talk about the science behind these things. 
and what is available. I mean, that's really where the rubber meets the road for people that are listening to this podcast. Right. I mean, a- everybody wants to know, is, is there a magic pill? Is there a magic therapy? Is there a magic physician? Is there a magic coach? I would say that there, all of this will come together and, and hopefully this podcast will shed some light on some areas that people can look into. And if somebody meets certain criteria and gets a thorough workup and gets evaluated by a strong professional, all these things uh, can be addressed and be addressed successfully. All right. While you're talking about strong professional, let's hit on this topic before we get into some other questions. But you brought that up and I want to touch base on this because I know from my past experience with my primary care physician, and I, I'm by no means going to bash primary care physicians because they are here for a reason. And, but when I went to see my primary care physician and I was at a lower range on the T level, which we're going to cover in a little bit, he gave me a, you know, first of all, he gave me Andrew gel, right? Which you and I, now that I know what I know now and what you, you know, we both know it's not a good alternative. Yeah. Overpriced and un- underdosed. Right. And it has other implications in the long run. Yes. So, and then the next step was to hand me a vial and a syringe. Sure. Yeah. And say, okay, do you, are you comfortable doing this yourself? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, we see all over the United States, happening right. all over. So we, you and I both know that's wrong. Sure. Especially the way it's dosed, and we'll get into that. So what, what is your take on that? I mean, how do you find a quality physician? Most of the time, uh, I've, you know, when I counsel men, um, I tell them to look for a compounding pharmacist in your county, in your city. Right. You know, the compounding pharmacists are working for the working and compounding formulations for these physicians every single day. So the physicians that have gone out and made it their um, business model to work with men and testosterone deficiency, thyroid management, you know, along that lines, those people have tremendous amount of clinical experience. And if you're going to be good at your craft, then what you need to do is stay up on the education, stay in the clinical forums and see what's happening, you know, across the, across the country and across the globe with treatments and science and studies and in real world clinical um, outcomes. I mean, that's why a strong clinician, regardless if you're a certified medical doctor, a DO, a chiropractor, a health coach, is really worth their weight in gold. Those of us that take their skill set and place a high value on it are willing to continue our education and pay and seek out good training and go to conferences and, and stay current and hopefully ahead of where it's, you know, frankly, the bodybuilding world has known many of the things that we are now just coming to the surface um, about male hormone replacement. The bodybuilding community has known for years, maybe decades. And unfortunately, some bad science, some, some bad headlines um, have made people like uh, women with estrogen. Estrogen's a bad word. Estrogen uh, done properly is extremely healthful for women. It's their primary sex hormone. Testosterone is our primary sex hormone as well. So when you say the word testosterone and people say, oh, he's going to have a DVT or a thrombosis, uh, uh, he's going to clot because his blood's too thick. We know the science behind that now. We know how to manage testosterone and that access properly. Do I think that we're on the cusp of, of a, new, a new realm of management of this? Yes. And, that, and I believe that with stem cells, you're going to see things rapidly change in this country, rapidly. Mm-hmm. So to find a skilled clinician, it's word of mouth, it's talking to other people, it's getting on forums and finding out who they use, it's talking to compounders and find out who in their local community are compounding for TRT replacement, if that's in fact what you need, and then have a dialogue with that practitioner. Educate yourself, 
you're in charge. First of all, it's your body. If you know that there's a specific way that you would like testosterone managed based on your research, then I encourage you to have that dialogue with that physician. And if they don't agree with you, they should be able to tell you why they don't agree with you. And they should be able to tell you their clinical outcomes with the system they use. Right. While we're on this subject, from my perspective, and I want to bring this up, is why should people reach out to people like us before they go to their primary care physician? Well, if you're just looking for general coaching, like lifestyle coaching, that's important because the things I've already mentioned, uh, I've already mentioned lifestyle, I've already mentioned diet, I've already mentioned exercise. All those things, uh, a quality health coach is very well trained in. And the extent of their training will drive the success rate and the lineup at the door for future clients, many of them have waiting lists. So those are the type of people you need to seek out based on your desire. If you have zero base knowledge on what you need to do and start, then a general wellness health coach or functional medicine practitioner is a great place to start. I mean, you have to start somewhere. And you could be surfing on the internet for hours and days and months and weeks and years and not come up with a game plan. Eventually, you have to take action. If at some point you must do something, and for many people, if you're going to waste those that time as the clock's ticking, and you're going to waste that, invest that time and money and energy into buying X supplement, X supplement, X protein powder, X. By the time you finally have failed and fall on your face, right. you could look and you have you could have hired three or four or five years ago a quality health coach that could have streamlined this entire process for you. Right. That could have put you in a place of not not only better health and wellness, but if you need if you need additional resources or an, another skilled practitioner, we are in networks of those practitioners. Right. We have access to those people to get you quality care. So it's not like you have to go into the old allopathic model. Your doctor spends five minutes with you. You're frustrated. They hand you five prescriptions and say, "Okay, be well. We'll see you in another three or four months." And you just got charged 150 or 200 dollars right. for that seven minutes. That's not our model. We don't work that way. We don't want to work that way. And we highly discourage that. Yep, I agree. You know, I think knowing now what I know now, Pat, when I was at a weight that was, I'm not going to mention them very large, and I had all these symptoms. And now, even now, I have these symptoms and I'm, I learned this stuff. Yeah. So I know and from my side is when you get to a place where you need some help, when, when you start to get like fatigue and the depression, the brain fog, and you don't know what to do with it. You know, seek the help. Yeah, everybody has a different uh, amount of resources. Right. So somebody financially might have to save up. But I, I try and I try and tell people, look, you're, without your health, we know when we're sick how miserable you feel, and nothing else really matters because you feel so terrible. Right. You know, if I I would say conservatively build it into your income model, into your house spending. You know, it. I look at ten percent as a number. Ten percent is a fair number. Somebody makes fifty thousand dollars then uh, somewhere around up to $5,000 should be in your own self-care model to keep you healthy and well so you can support your family, right. support yourself, and continue to march on uh, disease-free. Right. So I think that's a smart thing to do. I mean, what, what is more important, that Starbucks $6 macchiato or <laughs> adding that $6 five days a week, which is $30 a week times 52 weeks, and add that up uh, right. to, pay for your, to pay for your personal right. uh, health and well-being? Because let's face it, andropause or menopause and testosterone and hormones play a major role in our health. I mean, honestly, it comes into play with the, the heavy death ones, heart disease, cancer, strokes. The hormones play a major role in this. Yeah. 
So you you have to keep that. You have to be on the front of this before those made. Those are the ones that will take your job down. Yeah. Yeah. And, and many people, if they're not working, the income's not coming in. I, as a matter of fact, I, I just had this scenario last weekend with a fellow I play hockey with who had a devastating injury and he works in the marine industry. And when he's not working, he's not earning. So um, to have a devastating injury and not have uh, in, a family income being generated is could be devastating on, on multiple fronts. So it's really important that you start if you start having any of the symptoms of the things that we're going to talk about, the fatigue, the feeling something wrong, you can't put your finger on it, depression, sexual dysfunction, loss of motivation, fat gain, especially around the belly and the chest, you realize that your exercise performance is reduced. You can't do what you used to do. Inability to add muscle and, and lose body fat. If you start feeling bone and joint aches, uh, foggy thinking, difficulty concentrating, anxiety, irritability, any of those things start to surface in your life, then the flag should go up and you must act. I agree 100%. All right, let's talk about the big three drivers to andropause. Insulin resistance, cholesterol, and stress connection, which we've talked about. But estrogen dominance and the insulin go hand in hand. So let's talk about that. Yeah, you know, estrogen, it's it's kind of it's a nasty word. You know, people men hear estrogen and they go, Oh my gosh, I, you know, I could if I could take that down to zero, you know, that would be helpful for me. And that's ex- that's exactly the opposite is true. Estrogen's important, and there's a lot of debate in the in my community and the community that I kind of swim in on a regular basis, how what the value and and what should your estrogen be? Whether you're on testosterone replacement therapy or just somebody who is not on any type of therapy, what should what should that be? What, what's a healthful range? And what I've come down to, I've come down in the camp of ratios, where I think there's uh, some ongoing studies down in Houston right now, what I think is hopefully bear this out in the next year or two. But estrogen is important for so many things, for brain development, for sexual function, to basically program you from the time you were born, all this, the functions that will eventually develop into your fertility, your sex, and your fertility and your sexual drive and motivation to procreate, that comes a lot from estrogen, the, re- the many receptors in the brain uh, around the pituitary glands and the hypothalamus to actually stimulate that drive to, to help you uh, want to procreate. Obviously, testosterone is a player too, along with other hormones, which we'll discuss, but that's really important. I, I'm going to back up just a little bit because I kind of ex- expanded your list of you know the big three when you look at andropause okay. or... And, and I'm, I'm going to start out with insulin resistance and, and sugar dysregulation. Okay. Because in our world, we know that when insulin is chronically elevated and that access of blood sugar control, adrenals, cortisol, those hormones, when that is chronically elevated for a long period of time, it has a devastating effect on the male sex hormone. So... Instead of, you'll notice, and I, I'm sure you know this, but in all my panels, I always run a fasting insulin level on all my clients. Oh, absolutely. Now, 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 the treatment may still be the same. If you have an elevated glucose, the treatment may, the end game may be the same. But the real issue is to see if that insulin is dysregulated because it dysregulates and is chronically elevated long before blood glucose rises. And the modern medical world is I, I don't know if they, they knew this and forgot about it or they don't teach it in medical school, but all the physicians look at anymore is the fasting blood glucose, right. which you'll see on most lab panels, glu- uh, common nomenclature is glucose. Well, what we really need to look at is in fasting insulin because fasting, your, your pancreas puts out insulin 
And in response to that insulin, it takes that blood sugar and and puts it in places of the body based on you know uh, glycogen storage in the liver or muscle tissue, muscle cells. So it can keep up for quite a long time. And uh, how long is anybody's guess based on the assault of the many other things that we do in our life? But in reality, if you can see insulin being elevated, then you know that that's time to take action. Don't wait for four or five or six more years when insulin has been chronically elevated that entire time, affecting your cardiovascular system, hardening your arteries, lowering your, your sex hormone levels, uh, increasing binding globulins, all the things that come along with chronically elevated insulin, chronically elevated cortisol, the more stress the body has, the more the, the body is going to deplete uh, DHEA, which is your, your hormone that uh, will end up making um, testosterone and estrogen. And when you see that finally dysregulate and DHEA start to decline because it works in a seesaw effect with cortisol, cortisol is anti-inflammatory. It's actually catabolic to the body. While we do need it to manage, help manage blood sugar, mineral corticoids and, and, and alike, we also need DHEA to continue to make an anabolic environment so we can build muscle tissue, which is extremely helpful and keep robust hormone levels. But when the body's in chronic stress, stress dominates and dictates what the axis is going to do. The longer you're in stress, and that could mean external stress from your workouts, CrossFit, maybe doing it seven days a week, never taking a break, or internal stress, maybe a bad infection in the GI system, major problems of other infections throughout the body that the body, the cortisol is the fireman. It's trying to put out these all these fires. Right. Well, that is your fight or flight hormone, and that's what's going to keep you alive. You can live without testosterone. You can live without estrogen. You would be a miserable existence, but what, <laughs> what will happen without cortisol? Without cortisol for 30, approximately 36 hours, you'll, be, you'll cease to exist. So that tells you the priority level of these systems. So if you're constantly, the body's constantly calling for resources from cortisol to put out all these fires, it is going to deplete the resources for the other hormone levels, the other hormone metabolites. So just trying to keep it as basic as I can so people can understand how stress affects the axis, how chronic right. inflammation and chronic uh, insulin will affect the hormone axis. Right. Now, I guess uh, we can talk about the, the estrogen and, and some good points about estrogen as well. Right. Matter of fact, let's go right into this. I've got a couple of uh, listener questions that I'll throw out here regarding the estrogen so we can just talk about those. The first one is Mark in Tennessee. He asked the question, my doctor says I'm estrogen dominant, which is why I'm type 2 diabetic. Why do I need estrogen? Well, for some of the reasons that I just said, Mark, you're, right. the body needs it. Bone development, um, sexual, you know, the, all the sexual functioning, anywhere that there's an estrogen receptor in the body, you know, the, nature doesn't make too many mistakes, right? So there's a need for that receptor to be upregulated and turned on in a healthful way. And I believe the body is able, when it's healthful, in a healthful state, without all these assaults, it can, it can create a balance, right? It's looking for harmony. It's not looking for a dominance of one hormone, a dominance of another hormone. It's looking for harmony and balance. And uh, that's kind of life in general. That's what nature does. That's what the body does. So you do need estrogen. Why your physician made that comment without seeing data? I mean, he might've just saw a level of estrogen that he was uncomfortable with. There's a lot of debate going on within this community about what is a healthful estrogen level. And I've sided on, on the side of a ratio, and, but what is, what is the appropriate ratio? Well, my answer to that is it's the ratio that the body determines. 
a healthful body will determine a proper ratio. So to, for me to give you a number right now, there's no data to back it up. There's right. no, um, no study that backs it up, but there is ongoing research. So we hope to have some answers in the next year or two. But yeah, why your doctor made that statement to you, um, maybe, the, maybe you presented like a dad bod and he said, oh, it must be the estrogen and totally neglecting insulin resistance and all the other things, elevated chronic cortisol, circadian rhythm dysregulation, watching computers at 12, one o'clock in the morning, <laughs> all that blue light, no melatonin on board depletion of serotonin, all these things are players. Right. As we say, it goes back to stress. As you said, it goes back to stress. Yeah, that's stress on the system, right? If you don't right. develop a good circadian rhythm, and what I mean by that is basically going to bed at the same you know, time every night, waking up at the same time, making sure that you get good quality, deep, restful sleep, then that's a stress to the body when you're outside of that definition. Some people will say, oh, you need a minimum of eight hours. Well, I've seen st- plenty of statistics and studies that that's not true. What's true is you need a good, healthful, restful sleep that makes you feel rejuvenated when you're awake. Right. I know plenty of people that get less than eight hours of sleep that thrive. They're healthy. They function well. They're clear thinking. Uh, one's a, uh, a good friend is a PhD in cell biology, and he thrives on six hours. That's it. It's all he needs is six hours. And he's been doing it for quite some time. So uh, I don't agree with the eight hours to, to throw a number at something that's not logical to me. Right. It's, 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 do you feel rested? How many times did you wake up in the middle of the night? And every time you wake up and look at more blue light or turn on a light switch in the middle of the night, the more you're causing stress to the body and disrupting the circadian rhythm. I know my opinion. I, I use a Dutch test to test. Is that, is that your go-to test to test these, the cortisol levels and the um, yeah, you know, it's it's a good picture. It gives you a good picture. And for what folks don't know with the Dutch test, it's uh, urine testing. Uh, you'll test, you'll urinate on four to five strips from basically 5 p.m. one night until eight o'clock the next morning. Uh, you have predetermined times when you'll actually urinate on the strips to get a, a picture of what your uh, hormones are doing, what your melatonin looks like over nighttime, and what your cortisol levels do. It's It's very hard to get rest when your cortisol levels are elevated. When your cortisol levels are elevated for many reasons, if the body needs cortisol to put out fires and it is elevated, if the body needs glucose to keep the heart pumping or the lungs breathing and the brain functioning while you're asleep uh, to rest and and rejuvenate and you're not getting it, then that's a problem. So the dust test uh, has long been, or any of that, the the saliva and or the urinal cortisol test. You can do it in serum too, but it's, it's, it's not effective if you don't have a, you have to go back to the lab, you know, and draw a serum, a serum blood draw at right. uh, eight o'clock at night or before bed. Obviously, the lab's closed; you can't do it. So, I prefer urine, and it correlates well. To sign up for my monthly newsletter, text RHCP. That's Rebel Health Coach Podcast or Red Hot Chili Peppers to two two eight two eight. Again, that's RHCP to 22828. Thank you and have an awesome day. Let's talk about excess belly fat and estrogen and the testosterone cascade as far as the aerobitase, fat tissues. We see that a lot as dads, the dad bod syndrome. Normally, I would look at the cortisol axis, and, and they're all players, right? So I don't want to leave, you know, I right. wouldn't say one thing is, is much more critical than the other. But what studies do show is that testosterone can also be a player too. So the next question would be, if estrogen, if the aromatase enzyme is, is very active in, a, in, in the body and in different places, there's 
you can find the enzyme in more than just the belly, belly fat. If it is in the process of converting testosterone to estrogen, you would assume that everybody who has high estrogen levels would be obese. But what we see clinically is that's not the, not, that's not the case. Now, if you ask me what percentage, I would have to look at more statistical data. But I can tell you there are plenty of men that are skinny that have high estrogen levels, what we would consider elevated, quite elevated, certainly over lab normal ranges. And they present with, you know, they're, they're still thin outwardly looking. They still look thin. They're, they're by far from being over obese. And conversely, we've seen obese men have what we consider lab normal estrogen levels. So sometimes, you know, I, I always used to be able to look at somebody and say, okay, I, I see tiredness. I see exhaustion. I see stress. I see this. I see that. But more, many times I've been wrong in my assumptions about the lab work when it actually comes back. So I've learned over the years to actually be very cautious about the comments that I make um, <laughs> because it might not be as accurate as the lab lab would indicate. Right. So uh, yeah, it's it's very interesting that it and then and and very factual. Again, we can see it on both. So how the how the person expresses the aromatase enzyme that makes that conversion, whether it be a fast acting enzymatic process for somebody, and I I would probably lean towards genetics here, or a slow acting conversion. I think that's kind of where the sweet spot is with that. But, but again, if you look back at the other hormones with these people is that you can see the insulin resistance. That I can see. Right. I can see dysregulated insulin, which means I have dysregulated cortisol, which means I have inflammation. So I can draw that picture better than I can say it must be too much aromatase activity. Okay. All right. Let's talk. Here's one from Dave in Texas. And this is talking about estrogen again. Is it possible for a man to have too low of estradiol while other estrogens are high? Because my estradiol and T is low, as he says, but I have signs of high estrogen. And he says, so confusing to me. I would say to Dave that I'm not sure who's, who's running his estrogen panel, but normally when, in our circles, when we talk estrogen for men, there's basic, there's more than these three estrogens. But the three estrogens that we always discuss with men and women are E1, uh, estrone, E2, estradiol, that's two estrogen, and then estriol, which is three molecules. So those are the three that we talk about. But for our purposes as men, we talk about, and, and you'll hear this many times, clinicians, physicians talking, and your estrogen's too high. What they mean is estradiol. But so they're really not a, so why he's saying that his other estrogens are low. It's kind of confusing to me right. unless he unless he ran a Dutch test and he saw E one E two E three and they measured all those and reported a, a, a you know a range back to him. Okay, which is that's you know we we swim in those waters with the uh, the female physiology with the male physiology because the estradiol is so dominant that that's the one that that we pay attention to. That's when we look at not that the other ones don't have functions in the body. I don't believe nature made a mistake. However, they're not dominant processes that 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 I'm aware of that I'm okay. not. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, that would be my answer to that. Okay. Got a few more questions, but I want to touch base on your liver health and the gut health for our hormone access. We talk about when when estrogen is made in the body or, or for any metabolite, anything that the body's got to metabolize and break down. I mean, the, the, the chemistry warehouse is the liver. That's where all the fun stuff is happening. Not, uh, not the upregulation of receptors. Those are happening at tissue level. But the clearance of the metabolites and, and quite often the bad metabolites, we want to 
push through the liver, get through phase one, phase two detoxification, excrete them in one of three ways, urine, feces, or sweat. So we're looking to get rid of bad metabolites, the breakdown byproducts, and we don't want things to be recirculated. So a happy gut will, uh, and the flora within that gut will assist us in many ways. Very, it, we, You could go pretty deep into the weeds and how the gut does it. But in reality, the more balanced and the less dysbiosis and dysfunction that you have in the gut, the better the clearance of these metabolites will be. The more, uh, the better functioning the liver, the better processing and clearance of these desirable metabolites to be excreted um, is going to be. So it's in our best interest to have a very robust and diverse, healthful intestinal tract. That's important. We need very strong digestion to kill pathogens. We need all, all the precursors, uh, vitamins, minerals, to create the enzymatic activities to break down the undesirable byproducts of all these different hormones that are circulating through the body. As the body makes new, we, we have a use pool, we use them, and they create byproducts. The byproducts must be excreted. So we want a good, flawless system of generating the pool of resources, and then we want to make sure that we can the, the breakdown byproducts can be broken down successfully, get through all the phases of detoxification, and be excreted from the body. So that's in an, in an ideal world, we want those both optimal. Okay, good. This question comes from Pete in Michigan. My doctor says my testosterone blood work is normal. I was at 343 and I don't feel right. What's up with that? Yeah, Pete, you know, there are the outliers out there that might feel well, feel well and below 400. I only know of a few, but it depending on when you were tested too. So we know that there's variability in hormones throughout the day, like hormones upregulate, downregulate. The consensus in the testosterone community is that you want an AM, uh, you're at a peak level. As a matter of fact, when I looked at the FDA's website, they were encouraging physicians to test testosterone in the morning. And actually, the, I think the, the way the verbiage went, there was actually supposed to be two draws, two, two draws on an AM, AM draw first thing in the morning, because they know that as you're in the waking response, that testosterone peaks somewhere around 9 AM in the morning. So, um, so that would be a, a more robust level. However, conversely, if you go at 5 p.m. to the lab to draw your blood work, that odds are that you'll have a lower level. And, and that goes kind of hand in hand with growth hormone. You'll see that with um, growth hormone levels as well. So we want to um, have an accurate, you know, we have to have a standard. We have to know where if the physician needs to treat. But if you have the symptoms of low T, and there's, a, there's an Adam questionnaire that a lot of the physician's office uses, and it's just a, it's a few simple questions they ask you. And if you um, answer a certain percent of those questions uh, a certain way, then that, that helps them actually make their diagnosis. But I never look at just one thing in isolation. I, I have a client that, who, who's in the high 300s that says he feels great. So who am I to argue with? You know, I looked at his t the thyroid axis. I've looked at his uh, estrogen. I looked at uh, many other markers, SHBG, and I could see ways to help him increase his testosterone level. But to this fella, it's just a number, right? I mean, he looks at it and doesn't, you know, the lab range on there, he looks and he goes, oh, it'd be nice to be at 900. But he says, I feel great. Well, if you feel great, then who am I to say, let's do this and let's do that? Right. You know, I mean, not until we have some, uh, he starts to get some symptomology. But if you have no symptomology and things are going well and everything feels good, the, the sexual desire and the performance is fine, the, the body composition he's happy with, uh, his drive, his sleepful and wakefulness is good, then who am I to say, I mean, frankly, isn't that kind of the way that physicians should be treating anyway? Treat to eliminate the symptom, the symptomology. Instead of looking at numbers, why don't we treat? I mean, 
A hundred years ago, when they were using desiccated thyroid, they didn't have lab numbers, you know, to look at. Right. They treated till the symptoms subsided. Right. So, and they've been doing that for well over a hundred years with thyroid medication. So now, all of a sudden, we look at numbers, right? So, it's we could go off on a tangent on there, but I would say quite easily for me, it would just be you feel great, and that's that's your that's where you're great. You feel great. Right. I, I who am I to argue with it? Well, let's talk about that. Because we, you and I both go by optimal ranges versus normal to what the what a physician goes by or a lab company. Let's explain that part to the listener because I don't think a lot of people get that. In functional medicine, a lot of practitioners, there's a few different software versions out there, but we use um, levels that are much what I would call more refined and tighter levels. So as over the years, as ranges have changed with labs because of their pool of clients, you'll see uh, LabCorp requests, they'll change their ranges. And we just saw this recently over the last year with, with testosterone, which is a travesty for me because uh, when you look at uh, LabCorp used to pull uh, the upper limit of testosterone used to be 11 in the 1100s. Now it's down to 916. That's the high. So then also they took the low, which used to be above 300. And that, that's now below 300, I believe in the 260s. So now when somebody comes in, and, and they're at 267 or 270, they're technically in the normal range. They feel terrible. They look terrible. We know there's deficient levels of free circulating hormone because the lab work concurs with that, but unfortunately, it doesn't meet the, the desk reference range for the physician to treat. So many physicians won't. So if a physician is going to treat, many do have uh, cash pay systems now, and they make you they have you sign a uh, waiver saying, look, that you, you understand that you're in the normal range, but you're requesting the therapy. Some have to sign a release and some don't. Some just um, uh, some don't have to do it. But in, in any case, the lab ranges, the low and the high for the hormones are different between Quest and LabCorp. We have functional ranges that we have known through over time that are healthful ranges to be in. And when, when you're outside of our functional ranges, it's time to pay attention to what's going on. So if, for instance, blood glucose is 99 and you're my client and you come in and you fasted and you take your blood draw and you come in at 99, in the system, you're normal. In my system, in Tom's system, uh, you're going to be very borderline pre-diabetic and we're going to address blood sugar control. Uh, We'll also have the data of insulin because we're smart enough to run insulin along with the blood glucose. And frankly, for the folks that are out there, when your physician doesn't want to run that because your insurance has to pay, I'm just going to be very transparent to you. That lab for me to put that on your lab script is four dollars and fifty cents. For four dollars and fifty cents, we can we can absolutely positively see how your your insulin is and your blood glucose and come up with a game plan to reverse. And that's less than a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Oh, absolutely. So there's no reason not to do it. There's right. every reason to do it, and very very important. Yep. His next question was, "What lab work should I be asking for?" Yeah, good point. So, so is, that, is that you got that on your list? I got it in the top of my head. So <laughs> we all look for, um, for me personally, I always look for a CBC panel, complete blood count, complete metabolic panel. I want to look at markers for testosterone total, testosterone free, steroid hormone binding globulin. Um, there's reasons that that would elevate. It's kind of like the break in the system that stops the body from making more testosterone free and available for the body to use at the tissue, tissue level. Also, um, some, some practitioners run the DHT levels. Um, I normally don't. I, I'll save that for later. Or if I run a Dutch test, I'll look at the, the metabolites on, on that form. Um, look at DHEAS because we want to be able to see if that's 
really the parent hormone to the testosterone and estrogen conversion. So we want to be able to see if it's starting to deplete. If that's starting to deplete, then one can confer from that, that that there's some stress going on in the body and we're using more resources now to produce cortisol. So, and that's where the Dutch is a nice follow-up test. Uh, any uh, saliva or urine testing for cortisol for spot test is actually comes in handy because you can find that correlation and that ratio of DHEA to cortisol. So when you start seeing cort- uh, DHEA start to deplete in the body, that's why, like I said, going back to what I said before, having annual labs on people and watching trends over time is extremely valuable. That's something that's really important that we look at. Uh, I will run the, uh, the thyroid. I, I will look at TSH and free T3 and free T4 in my panel. And I'm trying to think if I left anything out. Oh, prolactin. Yeah, I will run prolactin. Very big with uh, sexual function and fertility. So that's a huge player on the serotonin dopamine access and the interaction there. So that's really important for me to look at too. Okay, while we're on prolactin, Devin in Australia, why do men have prolactin? Yeah, like I said, sexuality and fertility are pretty much at play here. That's It's secreted by the anterior, anterior pituitary, improvement in ejaculation, your refractory time. That's really important. And this will go back, this will make folks chuckle, but there were a few porn stars back in the 70s and 80s that actually <laughs> used a supplement, cabergoline, to actually affect the prolactin levels because if they had to perform, there's two things that could happen, which is more ejaculate and a faster refractory time. So if they had to get up and perform again right away, they could actually speed the process up. Uh-huh. So uh, yeah, so it's very intimately tied to fertility and sexual function and desire, actually. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and some things you want to look at, too, um, there's drugs that affect this whole access. So some of the things you t- I want to talk about is if anybody, you're on a psychotropic medication, you're on an opiate. You're on antihistamines. You're on any anticonvulsions and convulsant medication, any direct estrogen medications. You've had trauma to your head. All those are players in this axis going off kilter. So if you're on any of these medications, you really need to take those issues to a skilled practitioner to make sure or do your own research, do your Google search and find out what medications could affect your libido or your sexuality or your hormone levels, your testosterone levels. There's plenty of literature on these medications affecting certain parts of the access. So it's very important to do that. Okay. This one is from Sally in Indiana. And this kind of addresses the elephant in the room. Yeah. And that elephant is ED. Right. So my husband is having issues getting it up. He refuses to go to the doctor. I Googled testosterone and found some I can purchase on Amazon for him. What are your thoughts, Tony? Yeah, it's yeah, that's a prescription medication. So you're not going to find it on Amazon. You may feel uh, find things on Amazon that say they could raise testosterone, but as far as actual um, the uh, prescription medication, testosterone, cypionate or enthanate, you're not going to find that on Amazon. So be very wary of anything like that. And speaking to the erectile dysfunction, you know, as men this conversation really has to be had. It's multifactorial, right? So you can't just talk about it in isolation. You, you have to think of, okay, what physiological problems could be affecting the, uh, the inability to have an erection? What stressors could be affecting that? And how are my relationships with, the, with, with my mate? So you can't just disregard that emotional connection with your mate. That's something that has to be discussed. If your relationship is excellent and superb and you still love your mate and you're still attracted to your mate, then 
then I would say then we, you know, we definitely, that's one thing we would rule out and we would look into the connection of are the nerves firing properly? Do we have a nervous system problem? We sit a lot. We sit on our nerves that go down through that area. <laughs> so we do sit a lot. We sit right. in our jobs. We sit at home. Uh, we sit at, uh, men sit at bars. They sit at uh, in the sporting event in their seats. So, so a lot of that sitting, it could be very well be a neurological problem. So there's exercises you can do to do that, uh, to relieve that, to include even Kegel exercises to help your prostate, actually massage that prostate area. All that's important. The ED function, we're looking at blood flow. So let's, now let's look at blood flow. And you and I have actually had this discussion. Many times I'll look at calcium. And if the calcium's elevated on a blood test, I'll do a little deeper. I mean, if I'm over 10 and I'm consistently over 10 on my, on my levels of calcium in the blood, then I really want to dig deeper and rule out hyperprolactemia because this calcification of this axis is, is, is not a wise thing. You can actually calcify that venous uh, system, that, that lining. And when you line that with calcium, just like you would in the heart arteries, if you do a, uh, calcium, uh, a calcium score and you take that CT image, we can see the actual calcium in, in the lining. And if you have that in these very, very t- uh, small vessels, then we have a problem. We have a problem with excess calcium and why is it building up in those areas? So many therapies available here. So if you rule out that if there's good nerve function to the tissue and you know it's a venous problem, quite simply, you can try Viagra and Cialis. Many people get you know high blood pressure. They get headaches. They're just the, the lower backs of their legs, their, their, their buttocks and their hamstrings just are on fire like pins and needles. So, so many men can't take those drugs and you, you shouldn't be taking them with alcohol. So, and of course, what's the first thing a guy does? He goes out to the bar, uh, he's a pretty girl and he pops a, a blue pill. And so now he's got alcohol and, you know, everything working against him right now, uh, as far as the health goes. So we want to rule all these other things out. Some therapies, I think that are really important that men should know about. So we have sound therapy. The Gaines wave is a machine that is, that was uh, patented by actually his name is Dick Gaines, Dr. Gaines in, in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, but you can get this anywhere outside though. You don't have to get the Gaines wave therapy, but basically it's sound wave therapy that they put along the shaft and in certain areas uh, in your groin. And basically that generates angiogenesis for new blood vessels and actually creates uh, an environment where stem cells can proliferate. So that, that therapy itself um, lasts about six to eight treatments in the range of $3,000. And it's virtually painless. They can put a little numbing gel on, the, uh, on, on your penis and uh, you won't feel anything but pressure from the, from the, the sound wave. Now they have protein-rich plasma, the PRP injections, which will help with proliferation of cells. And um, that, uh, on average, costs anywhere from $1,200 to $1,800. They basically spin your own blood, pull the uh, protein plasma out, and they do an injection right into certain areas of, of the penis. Um, you, you would just end up feeling pressure from that procedure. That is a viable option. Um, they have Trimix injections. So you, if you're really in bad shape with severe ED, you can use the um, the Trimix to get an erection. So there's help out there for folks. I don't want anybody to think that there's no help because there there is. There's plenty of it out there. Unfortunately, it's. I wish it was less expensive. Many many of these therapies are not covered by insurance, but there is help. How about vascular dilators? Yeah, well, any any type of vasodilator, anything that's going to help blood flow, right? I mean, you, you would think right. that um, there's certainly plenty of herbs too that would help that. There's uh, beetroot juice. A lot of folks use right. beetroot. People use L-arginine. You know, as a vasodilator, arginine in their in their workout supplements, aspirin will thin the blood. I mean, there's plenty okay. of things out there that will thin the blood. Okay. And I would use that more as a diagnostic technique if I was 
doing trials on myself. Okay. I would actually try different things and see how my body responds. And, um, it, it, you know, cause you can kind of do your own troubleshooting, right. you know, as to what the problem is, as long as you have a good relationship and you, and your honey still looks as beautiful today as she did, you know, right. 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And that relationship is solid. Then you have to look within the physiological boundaries right. of your body and find out where the problem is. Right. Okay. Thank you, Sally. All right, Tony, what else do you have to add today to the show that we haven't covered? Yeah, I wanted to talk about a little bit deeper about medications. So think about somebody who's put on a statin. A statin medication is the base, is attacking your cholesterol levels. So cholesterol, uh, no matter what your doctor tells you, is extremely important in your body. I mean, we need cholesterol. That's fundamental to the body to make hormones. So if your hormones are made from cholesterol base and a physician puts you on a statin and they put you on a statin that really severely reduces your cholesterol levels, total cholesterol and other markers. Wouldn't it be logical to think that your hormones would be reduced, your production of hormones? If you take the main resource that makes the hormones out of the body and it's being excreted and it's just logical to think that your hormones would be reduced. And that's exactly what we see. So be very careful with statin medication. I don't agree with statin medication. I don't agree that it's saved one life. I think the literature is pretty clear that it's, it's nothing but a cash cow. And um, there's other ways to, to have helpful, you know, if you need to affect the cholesterol axis, look, there's many other things that affect cholesterol, thyroid, uh, obesity, alcohol consumption. I mean, there's many things that affect um, why your cholesterol might be, um, you know, out of optimization. So I think that's really important to tell people, if you're on a statin medication, consider that that is impacting your hormone axis. Uh, same thing with cimetidine, like any the antihistamines we talked about, beta blockers. There's a That's a classic one for beta blockers. We'll, we'll do that. Spirolactone for salt retention and edema. Uh, chemotherapy, all that's a player. Your SSRIs for depression, big player on the hormone axis. Ugh. So um, really have to, yeah. no stone left unturned there. And one of the other things I want to talk about with estrogen is it is important and you do need certain precursors for healthy and robust estrogen levels and estrogen clearance. So look at your B vitamins, your vitamin C, your vitamin K, your vitamin E. A lot of these parlay into testosterone optimization too, because testosterone and estrogen are very, very closely related molecules. If you look at them in a chemistry book, they're very, very closely related. You know, again, nature doesn't make mistakes. So uh, make sure your calciums, you're getting enough calcium, selenium, zinc, cysteine, choline, uh, good healthy eggs. All those are really important, both for testosterone and estrogen. Keep your alcohol consumption low. Watch out for your, any ED drugs you may be taking. So all of those would be players. Uh, don't smoke. Men, let your body create the estrogen from the testosterone. Try not to uh, introduce too much estrogenic products. So think of soy. I mean, I, I don't take any soy. haven't eaten any in years and won't eat any. So uh, nothing like that for me. Make sure you get good quality exercise that doesn't take you into the, uh, an extreme uh, state of stress. So instead of uh, running high sprints for a long period of time, um, maybe do um, fast-paced walking. Things that, depending on your conditioning level, depending on your conditioning and how quickly you can recover, how you find yourself recovering. What, be careful of back-to-back -back extremely stressful workouts. It takes time when you push your body to recover. And the older you get, the more time you need. So you have to be smarter about how you exercise. Tony, are you preaching to me right there? Oh, of course I am. <laughs> um, of course I am. <laughs>
Yeah, just just another tidbits. Um, men worry about gynecomastia. Doctors worry about you know breast tissue from too right. too elevated estrogen levels. Bodybuilders see that, but there's more to it than just estrogen, in my opinion. There's more going on there. If you don't feel that lump behind your nipple, if you feel a lump behind your nipple of actual tissue like the size of a cherry or a grape, then I then then we we're talking gynecomastia. If you just have a layer of fat over your chest, that's not gynecomastia. Gynecomastia is actually the tissue, the breast tissue developing. But it's men, if you drop weight and your chest looks firm, it's just body fat. Right. So, you know, that's a good point for men to, to be very aware of that. Trying to think of anything else, keep your zinc levels nice and robust. I am in the camp of pretty high dose zinc. So when I see a man who has low testosterone, that, that testosterone therapy is not an option or he doesn't desire to do that, then we, we go with the, the zinc and a very small, uh, the copper supplement. But I'll take them as high as 180 milligrams day. So most times you'll hear people say 30 to 60. Well, we'll do that for four to six months and then we'll come back on the dose. So uh, we want to detox estrogen properly. So we want to make sure phase one and phase two are working properly. So keep that in mind. But when you start working with these men to, to clear estrogen, it happens very quickly. So if you see a high buildup of estrogen and you want to tilt that table and get the body, help the body, the liver and work better for clearance, be very careful that if you start them out on a, on a very strong detox product, calcium deglucurate and DIM, that you don't stay with that high dose for too long because you'll crush their estrogen. And conversely, when you have low estrogen, you won't be able to function in bed. You'll have joint pain like crazy. The lower you go, the worse it gets. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to mess with that access too much. You just need to help the body detox properly. So I always encourage practitioners, and many have heard me say this over and over again, that keeping them on high dose detox uh, of the sort to address estrogen clearance and clear those metabolites is great if you do it short term and then come off the dose and then retest. In my opinion, this just exponentiates, if that's a word, is that a word? Oh, it could be. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that you should reach out to people like Tony and myself, because we could save you a lot of time and money by just going over your blood work and, and then directing you in the right path for, for the hormone replacement therapy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we, we have those connections, right? We have, mm-hmm. we have the ability to do that assessment. So my men pay $299 fee for a full assessment. The lab work itself, if they want a full comprehensive panel to really look at all the other markers, inflammation, uh, vitamin D levels, all, that other, uh, all those other items that are so important with health, and I advise them to do it once a year, it's roughly $310. Um, but it's extremely comprehensive. So we do that once a year and we do spot testing on other things if we're doing any therapies. But for a $299 consult fee to work through the, the lab work and get a full customized report for the lab work is a bargain. Right, exactly. Bargain. And Tony, where can they find you? They can find me at fdnofflorida.com and they can also contact Tom for any other uh, detailed information. Yep. And you know where to find me. So thank you for listening to the show. Take care, everybody. And Tony, thank you, buddy. Much love, my friend. Much love. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.